0: Well, we're about out of Sunday evenings for the year. Seems like just the other day we started this topic of what people wonder about the Bible, what people want to know about the Bible. And uh, we're on our sixth topic, starting our sixth topic tonight. And we'll spend the rest of the the month on it. Uh, as you remember, if you've been coming regularly, this has kind of come from The Know Your Bible program, where over the years we've got thousands of questions, but a lot of them kind of break down into standard uh, topics, and that's kind of what I've tried to cover this year on Sunday nights, is some of those big topics that people have some pretty basic questions about. Uh, Tonight, the question we're going to talk about is, uh, why are there so many churches? Uh, We get that question in a lot of different forms. Some, I think, as I mentioned on your handout, may be asking about why are there are so many religions in the world, and we'll talk about that just briefly. Uh, uh, the reasoning there is, if there's one God, why have we got so many religions, which is a pretty good question. Uh, but I think more frequently than that, since we are a Christian nation and most folks have a Christianity kind of background, Uh, Most of the questions are more about denominations, brands of Christianity. Why are there so many different churches? Uh, They often ask that question in this way or something like this. They say, uh, if everybody's following Jesus, uh, why isn't there just one church? Or if everybody uses the same Bible, why are there so many churches? Well, that's a a very astute question. Uh, that's a very logical, rational question, and uh, since one of our uh, tradition background basis of being is that we intend to restore uh, the biblical church, uh, we ought to be able to give a few answers to that. So I think we can stay busy for, uh, for Sunday evenings on this this topic and see if we can understand a little bit and explain to people why there are so many churches. First of all, I just thought very briefly I'd mention something about religions, and I didn't find this in any book. I just started thinking, I thought, well, why are there so many religions? And it kind of boiled down to, well, it depends where they came from, what the authority is that this religion came from. So I listed a few that I've dreamed up anyway. A lot of religions in the world come where there is absolutely no book, uh, holy book, no Bible, uh, no teaching like that. Uh, A very primitive society, Uh, I mean, we're still finding uh, primitive societies in the jungles of South America that have never interacted with the rest of humanity, it seems. Uh, So whatever religion they have, uh, it's probably nature-based, Romans 1 says that you can't look at the world and not know there's a God. So everybody's got this understanding that there's some kind of divine being. And if they don't have any book to reveal that to them, or if they don't have some person's idea before that, well, they'll dream their own up. Because they know there's a divine being out there. They may attribute him to... A volcano, or a tree, or the wind, or they may call him the great spirit, or they may come up with all sorts of things, but they're trying to explain it to themselves and to their society. So where there's no holy book, no Bible, no authority of any kind, people will base a religion on nature. Uh, some other societies have had Some person or some group of people, perhaps, or over the years, the whole society has tried to explain the meaning of life. People wonder about this. That's where religion comes from, if it's not a revealed religion. So they wonder about it. They try to explain it to their satisfaction, and they come up with a philosophy of life. Here's the way the world works. Uh, They may dream up things like reincarnation and karma and all sorts of things, but they'll come up with a philosophy of how this old world works. Uh, They may write that down. There may be some kind of holy book come from that, or maybe not. Uh, Then there is revealed religion, uh, a society, a group of people, a nation, whatever, that has Believes in Jehovah. As the true God of the universe has been revealed to them, and his book is available to them. Now, of course, early in the Old Testament, there wasn't a book available to them, but those people believed in Jehovah. Uh, and a revealed religion is different. What we know about God from just looking around ourselves isn't much. We know that there is a d- divine being and that he's powerful. Romans said that you can figure those two things out. But other than that, is he a loving God, a hateful God? A, a we don't know unless we have it revealed to us. And that's what this book does. So some people uh, have and in past before Christ was born of course they believed in Jehovah they had his scriptures to some degree and they were Jews and some of them still maintain that uh, then there's a group that believes in Jehovah and Jesus and the Bible and the New Testament Christianity and then there is a group beyond that that accepts the Bible uh They say they do anyway. Sometimes they really don't all of it. But they they claim to accept the Bible. They claim to worship Jehovah and maybe even Jesus. But then they got some other book that they add to that. Uh, Islam claims to honor the Bible and uh, Jehovah and uh, Jesus as a prophet of his. uh, But then they've got another book. That directs their life, really, uh, Mormons have claimed to believe the Bible, but they 've got another book that Joseph Smith wrote, and they follow it too or in addition or in place of, and so you those are the things that I thought of. all those authorities are different you've got different authorities you 're going to have way different religions um What most people wonder about, though, is not that most people kind of understand that. You know, they they reason through that and like, okay, I know why a guy in Wichita, Kansas, has a different religion than than a guy in the, the depths of the the jungle in South America. Uh, they have got different authorities. They've got a different background. They have got all that. So. That kind of helps us put the big picture, maybe, but what we really want to wonder about and think about, and because it's the most troubling, is why are there so many Christian churches? This is the one religion that started with a revealed book from the one true Jehovah and his son, who came to earth and proved himself with miracles and all of that. And one of the things he said was, I will build my church. Uh, there will be a church, uh, people that are called out from the world to follow me. And you can read that as many times as you want and frontwards and backwards and everything. You can't find more than one church in there. Okay? He said, I'll build my church. One church. One church. Okay, if that's the religion we claim to be a part of, and that's the way it started, then this really becomes an important question: Why are there so many churches? Well, where's all this come from? If we're all got the same Bible, if we're all following Jesus, why don't we have just one church? Okay, so that's what I want to reason through a bit over the next four weeks and. Talk about this kind of a little introduction tonight. Uh, Actually, we'll have the answer tonight and we'll spend the rest of the time kind of detailing it. Um, And the first question I want to ask and discuss is well, what did the church divide over? If there is a one church, Jesus's church, Matthew 16 18 church, if there is that church and it divided into a whole bunch of pieces, What did it divide over? Go back and look at history and see if we can figure that out, and then maybe we can answer the question of why. And I put two things down, and you could probably expand on that and uh, maybe come up with a few others, but I think these are the basics. I think one thing that really made the church uh, so divisive or still makes it so divisive is the whole matter of organization. How's a church organized? Uh, Jesus really didn't say much about organization. The apostles didn't say a whole lot about organization. They didn't go into great detail and draw org charts like we do and say here's elders and here's individual uh, congregations and all that. They gave the basics of how to run the church, and we understand that as restoration kind of folks. But that's one of the first things that started happening is man started to organize the church in ways that seemed good to him. As organizations grow, and we're talking earthly organizations now, you may have been in a business that that grew rapidly or uh, grew over the years, and, you know, the organization changed as you go along. Well, that's what happened to the church Church was organized very simply. Uh, Christ was the head. Each group of Christians that got together, uh, selected elders from among them, and we, we know all that. But man started messing with that. Man said, we can organize this better, because as it got bigger we got to keep control of things, and we got to run the church properly. So they started changing the organization. And over the years, there have been three major styles of organization, three types, I guess, of organization that exist in the Christian world. I didn't put them down in detail here for you. Because this is not what we're studying. This is just to kind of get in your head. Well, that does lead to division. Okay? Yeah. So Let me just go through these real quickly, and they all come from or most of them come from uh, the words for elders, but episcopos, we're familiar with that. Uh, episcopos means bishop or translated bishop uh, means somebody that oversees. okay Well, that was the first thing that man did is made a difference between an episcopos or a bishop and an elder, or shepherd they decided that, okay, a bishop should oversee more than one congregation. And so over the first few hundred years of Christianity, uh, the church developed an Episcopal leadership where bishops run things. Not just a group of Christians in one city, but numerous cities and areas and regions. And they might go on and build a hierarchy above the bishops, and some did, archbishops and on up, and all that. In, uh, when that kind of organization takes hold, then uh, the power comes from the top down. And the rules and the regulations and the interpretations of things okay, comes from the, t- the top down. And those positions up there of authority, the bishops and those above them running everything, they self-perpetuate. They appoint each other. <laughs> and when one dies, they pick another one. Okay? You can see how that quick, pretty quickly gets way removed from the people down here or the church. The Roman Catholic Church is organized that way. Uh, The Anglican Church is run by bishops, archbishops, the Episcopal Church, Methodist Church. That's the way they're structured. That's the way they're organized. A second kind of organization is called Presbyterian, not after the denomination, but after the word uh, presbyteros, which means elder. In this organization, the, the local congregation picks elders, and then they pick a few of them to go to a regional presbytery, and that presbytery is over a number of uh, congregations, a lot more like our representative government in the United States, that the people pick elders locally, but then send them off to represent them in this other body. And this other body owns the property and picks preachers and and does all of that kind of thing. Uh, Rules the congregations from this presbytery and then a synod and they build other things up there. Uh, This one, it's different because it starts at the bottom. The people are picking their leaders at the bottom uh, to run a representative government but it still gets a body up there that's detached from the people. The third major style of organization is called congregational, which is exactly what it is. Things are done at the congregational level. The people in a congregation pick their leaders. They pick elders and deacons. Uh, That congregation is independent. It's self-governing. Uh, they own the property, they pick the ministers, they make their decisions. Uh, that's where the power resides, in the congregation. Okay? Now, some of them have some kind of headquarters or whatever, but the the power's still down there at the local independent group. That church is a Christ or congregational, if you want to use that term, uh, Congregationalists are, Baptists are basically, they've got other organizations that people go to represent, but they're still a congregational operation. Okay, now, what's the only reason that's important to know anything about that is, to me, that's where a lot of change and digression or uh, division comes from, because there's a huge difference in those on how close you stay to that one true church, if you will. Once you get a hierarchy built, once you get leaders up there that appoint themselves and perpetuate that hierarchy, it's pretty easy to change things. And everybody else just has to follow. It's pretty easy to decide, that okay, now we're going to believe this. Now, in one sense, it's easy, but in the other sense, it's the most dangerous. Now, you just think about those differences in organization. Uh, I always compare it to a ship, the Titanic, whatever. If you're one great big ship that's got no holes or anything else in the bottom, it's pretty easy to sink you. Once you get a hole in you, you're going down. A congregational organization is much more like the Titanic was supposed to work. (laughs) You can puncture one safe hole, but the whole ship's not going down. In the congregational organization, which is what's basically outlined in here, is a congregation, a group of people, can go off track and say, no, we're not going to believe that. We're going to do this or do that and do this wrong. And they can go any way they want, but they don't sink the whole ship. Once you change the organization to where one person or one group of people has the power to say, here's what we believe now, you can get off track pretty quick. Okay. Uh, so I think organization is a big contributor to why we have so many divisions within the uh, the Christian religion. Second thing, of course, is doctrine. Now we're going to talk a lot more about doctrine in lesson three and four, probably. What is doctrine and all that? Uh, doctrine is just what's taught. Doctrine is, what does a scripture mean, or what do a group of scriptures mean, or what is our position, or what do we teach about this? And there's all different topics, all different things. Some of them are very simple, very black and white, very clear. Some of them are kind of confusing. Some of them take a lot of study, a lot of thinking to come up with a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, something like that a little harder. You don't just read it in one verse. Okay, uh, Much of the Bible is very, very simple, but get beyond the simple, basic truths, and it takes a little study and development and reasoning and uh, agreement and, and all of that, and that's what the Christian church is divided about. What do we believe about this? Well, we believe this, but no, you believe that, so, well, we... We're going to have to be separate now. And next week when we go over the chart that's on your, the back of your handout, you'll see where those major divisions came from. They, they came partly because of organization, but partly because doctrines got enough different that somebody said, hold it, we, do, we just can't, well, we can't be together anymore. If you're going to believe that, we believe this, that this ain't going to work. So doctrines are what we divide the Christian church over. Yeah. Uh, the next thing I put in there is not uh, a reason or essential or anything, it's just an observation. Uh, I, can't, I can't prove it with statistics, but it seems to me that this is a sign of the times. It seems to me that we've changed. I and mean, I think it's because of the spirit of the age that, uh, we tolerate everything, and uh, you can't criticize anything or be judgmental. I think what that's led to in the world of Christianity is that there's a change in the way people think about it. Okay. Uh, used to, uh, when I was younger at least, it seems to me that people were pretty brand loyal. You know, Whatever they were raised in, it's pretty much what they died in. Yeah, yeah they changed if they met a spouse that had a different belief or something, or they studied with somebody that taught them the Bible a little different way or something. But in general, people kind of go to what the folks went to. Now, within that brand, yeah, they had their preferences. It didn't matter if he was a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Church of Christ or what. Within that brand, as long as there was another option in town, you picked between those options on what suited you. Yeah. If you like this preacher over at East Side better than you like the preacher at West Side, that's Church of Christ talk, Baptist talk. If you like the preacher at First Church instead of the preacher at Second Church, yeah, you've you got to know how to do that. But anyhow... If you liked the preacher better, you'd go there. If you liked the way they worshipped, you liked their song leader, you liked their choir better, you'd go over there. A lot of it was just social strata. People are not comfortable very far outside their social strata. It's not because we're prejudiced. It's we're just not comfortable outside. There have been all sorts of studies done about that. you put all the social strata from very, very rich and high income and all that down to very, very low, and there's a range of about three brackets either side that people are comfortable with. You get much beyond that, and people get nervous. I don't know about being around those high rollers, and vice versa. I don't want to be around those poor folks. But wherever you are, you get your little range so churches end up that way. I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying this is human nature. So people did all that picking of their preference, but they still had this brand loyalty that, no, this, is, this denomination's right. Today, I think it's about gone. People don't seem to worry about it much anymore. They'll just kind of go anywhere to meet their preferences on a much broader scale. They don't worry much about what's taught. A close friend of mine that uh, grew up with that uh, all his life at Asbury Methodist and very active there. I played basketball for Asbury Methodist when I was in college with him. And he, was, he and his family were a big part of it. I saw him a few years ago and asked him how things were going and all that and how things were at church. He said, well, we moved. I said, you moved? He said, yeah, we're over at, he said, Countryside Baptist. I said, what? And so he explains to me that, well, they did some things. that He didn't like this worship, he didn't like that, so they went over there. I don't think that would have happened. 30, 40 years ago. I think we've expanded our idea of what we get to choose and what our preference is, and doctrine and tradition doesn't have much to do with it. So probably, if my theory is correct, a lot of the millennials that are listening to this sermon think, what in the world is he talking about? Why is this such a big deal? Well, sorry, but it's a big deal. Jesus said, I'll build my church. Okay, anyhow, it's just an observation. You got that free. Now, the the real question, and we can settle it pretty quickly uh, and then talk about it for three more weeks, why have men divided the church? We talked about what they divided over. That doesn't tell us much. Why did they do that? Why didn't they just stay with one church? Well, two reasons, two things the Bible says about it, and we'll look at them and since this is oh, <laughs> it's slightly embarrassing. It's supposed to be a very scriptural lesson. I've got two scriptures and I messed both of them up. so get get your pen out, get your pen out and fix them. Acts 20 thirty, I don't know where the eight came from. I typoed that one. Acts 20 thirty. And the second one I really went off track, that's first Timothy, chapter four, verses one through three. That's one way the church gets divided, I guess. Is preacher can't type. Okay, Acts twenty thirty. <clears throat> Paul's talking to the Ephesians el- Ephesian elders. He's leaving them. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And he has a warning for them. And he reminds them of how he studied with them and on and on. And verse 29, here comes his warning. Well, right before that, he tells them to be shepherds, uh, to watch themselves and the flock. They're overseers and they're shepherds. And uh, to be careful. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Okay, savage wolves is a term that Jesus used when he talked about false teachers. Jesus said they're going to be false teachers. They're like savage wolves. They'll come in, they'll tear things up. Okay. So Paul tells the elders in Ephesus, I know when I leave, this is what's going to happen. Verse 30, even from your own number men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Okay, there's the first reason. This is why men divide the church of the Lord Jesus. He says they will, from among the eldership, men will arise... They'll distort the truth. They'll twist it. Okay. In order, there's the important thing. Uh, so, you, so you can distort the truth just because you don't know any better. Okay. You can get something way wrong just because you don't know much. In fact, Second Peter 3.16 says, Peter said, Paul writes some hard stuff. There's some things that are hard to understand. And some people, listen now, because they're ignorant and unstable, will twist those scriptures, will distort them. Okay? So some people just don't know any better. uh, Doesn't have much background in Bible study or doesn't have much... uh, Understanding or doesn't, doesn't have much intelligence, maybe. Looks at a verse and says, Oh, I think this means this. Okay, well, it doesn't mean anything close to that. But the difference is they're not doing it uh, on for this reason. So you can be wrong about a lot of things in a real innocent way. Might not be good for you. <laughs> But you can be pretty innocent about it. But Paul says, I mean, yeah, he says what's going to happen here is men from among the eldership will arise. They'll distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Okay. Why does the church get divided? Pride. One man, one group of men, one group of people's Pride. We want people to follow us. I want people to follow me. And one way I can do it is by distorting this scripture, by teaching them that this is the right thing, and they'll follow me, and everybody else will not will follow them, and I'll have my following. Yeah. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? To do that to the church that Jesus said he would build. But that's... What Paul said is a reason. This is where it comes from. This is how it happens. Okay? The, the men want to be lifted up. They want to be followed. Okay, That's why that's a disqualification for an elder. Somebody that wants the preeminence. Somebody that wants to lord it over people. Not qualified to be an elder. Okay? uh that's one reason, and a little side top here, uh, that's one reason I've always thought in this congregation at least, or this situation, a preacher shouldn't be an elder. I don't think that's scripturally provable. I think in a small congregation, that's fine. But I think if there are other men available and all of that, I think it's dangerous to have one of the elders, one of the shepherds, one of the leaders, spend an hour every week getting to talk to the flock. There is a temptation there to draw a following. So I've always thought that was not a good idea here. Uh, And it's because of this, not that it would happen or anything else, I just don't think it's... Something to mess around with. Because Paul said, here's where it's going to come from. It's going to come from within the eldership. Somebody's going to get a following and like that following. And they're just going to keep pulling until they've got their little group. Okay? So that's the first reason. Second one, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul wrote to Timothy and says, The Spirit says specifically, in later times some will abandon the faith. They will follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared. They forbid people to marry and they command people to abstain from certain foods and he goes on and on. Okay, so here's Paul's prophecy from the Spirit to Timothy that Satan will plant some doctrines in men's minds. He will change things. And that shouldn't surprise us a bit. You may say, Satan's going to do that? It's what he's been doing from day one. It's what he did with Adam and Eve. God had a very clear doctrine about the trees. And what would Satan say? He didn't really mean that. You can change that if you want to. Okay? That's his style. He's the father of liars. He's been doing it forever. Okay, So Paul says <clears throat> that'll happen in the church. Satan will plant, teach these doctrines. That spirits are deceiving. They'll get somebody to believe this. Okay? Now, once again, there's a difference in degree here. I've, I've been wrong about some scriptures before. I got get an idea in my head. I just read that scripture and don't do enough study, or I've heard something all my life, and I think, well, that's what that means. Yeah? But I don't do any damage with it, you know. And if I ever said it from the pulpit or something, somebody probably would call me on it. Some older saint would say, "Whoa, did you really say that? I don't think that's right. That's yeah, good." Yeah. But here's the trick. Here, here's the the, the step we've got to remember. Paul said that kind of teaching, whatever that demon plants, whatever that false doctrine is, whatever that deceiving idea is, it gets planted in somebody's mind. It'll come through hypocritical liars. It'll come through men who don't have a conscience about teaching the truth. And want that following again. Same reason, I think, pride. And there may be others. I think some TV preachers and stuff like that, they get caught up in the lifestyle and the big dollars and the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, perhaps. But I think most of it's pride. I think some teacher has this idea that Paul says can be planted by Satan. And if it doesn't bother their conscience to teach something that's wrong, They'll become hypocritical liars to draw a crowd to them. Yeah, I'm not making this up. This is the two things that the Bible says. Here's where division comes from. Here's how it happens. Yeah. So, the bottom line answer why are there so many churches? The flesh, men's carnality. Our, our desire for ego and pride, with, men will divide the body of Christ for that, to get their own following. Okay. It happens over and over and over and more, and more and more and more, and that's the way it happens. So you get 2,000 years later, and you got an organization chart, or not an organization chart, but a chart like i got on the back there, where there's every kind of group in the world that says, We follow Jesus. But we also believe this or that or the other. All right, we'll talk about that in more detail next week. That's the the why, I think, in simple terms. appreciate your attention today. I know many of you have had a long day, and I've got a longer day coming. Uh, lots of things going on today at Northside. Uh, teens and their parents have been uh, working and playing all day, and got a little while to go. We appreciate all the youth parents that are working on all that lesson is yours. If you're here and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with that or with anything that you need from this family. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come.